From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel, providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. I'm really happy today to have a special guest. All my guests are special, but I'm particularly excited to host Yigal Marcus, who's the director of the new Bernstein Private Wealth Management Office in Tel Aviv. Yigal has been with Bernstein. We'll hear a lot more about Bernstein in a few moments. In all, over nine years, he has 15 years' experience in the financial services industry. He's a graduate with honors from Yeshiva University with a BA in economics. And Egal recently moved to Israel with his family in August of 2015 and lives in the eternally Jewish town of Hashmonaim. And this podcast is taking place on Hanukkah, so it's uh, very appropriate that we're speaking to you today. Welcome, Egal. Thanks, so I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to join you today. Yes, I personally have had a lot of familiarity with your firm, so I'm very excited. We've, we've worked together, we've done events together. So, so let me get right into it because I think my listeners, uh, as many people in the world today, are, are looking forward. 217 is right around the corner. Uh, and as we end 216 and look forward to 217, what are some of the major takeaways from the election of Donald Trump? <laughs> well, the world is certainly different, that's for sure. But um, first, again, I want to just thank you for this opportunity and, and to speak to you and your listeners. Uh, yes, we've worked um, very closely together, and I, and I look forward to continuing um, some of the m- many projects that we've worked on and, uh, for you and, and for your clients. Um, let me just take a step back, if I can, just for maybe 60 seconds to give a quick, you know, who, who A.B. Bernstein is, in case your listeners okay. haven't heard about us. That way it puts the sure. research that I'm going to talk about in context. So uh, Bernstein is a firm that was founded in 1967, uh, shortly after the Six-Day War, by a man named Sanford Bernstein, better known in Israel as Zalman Bernstein. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zalman died in Israel in 1999 and was a major philanthropist, um, both obviously before his death and and upon his death. uh, He actually endowed an organization called the Avichai Foundation in Yerushalayim, and uh, they do great work. Uh, he started the firm basically with the idea that we wanted to provide institutional asset management to private clients. And institutional asset management back then and even today is very sophisticated, it's very analytical, it's very strategic. And he basically said there's no reason why private investors can't get that kind of, uh, those kinds of services uh, for them. And so he started the firm and he basically said that the way that we're going to thrive as a firm is by simply doing the best research on the face of the earth. And Bernstein Research is globally known. It's one of the top-rated, consistently uh, research um, efforts in the world. The firm today is global. We're in 23 countries, Israel being the 23rd uh, country. Uh, we manage about $500 billion for both private clients and institutional clients. And so um, today, when, when we talk about some of the issues that, that, that uh, Phil may inquire about, it all comes from our research um, that really is global in nature, and I'm very happy to be able to share that. And one quick disclosure, 
our legal folks want me to do this. Sure. Uh, nothing that I say today is an offer to sell or a solicitation to purchase any of our services. All of our clients must be what we call qualified investors under the Israel Securities Authority regulations. So take take from it as you as you wish. Well said. Well said. <laughs> there we go. Okay, let's go to your question. Uh, perfect segue uh, in terms of our research into the world after uh, Donald Trump's uh, election. So. <clears throat> This is a question that we've been asked and we've been studying uh, in, very, in a very detailed kind of way since, since uh, November 8th. And, and the, the real answer is that there are a range of outcomes that can materialize as a result of Mr. Trump's election. Uh, many of those outcomes are very positive, certainly for the markets and, and for investors, and some could be, are very negative, potentially. And so the way that we sort of approach um, this, these challenges and this uncertain time um, that we are about to embark on, starting with his inauguration in a couple of weeks, uh, is to think about that range of outcomes and to position people in such a way that they're going to be able to endure whatever actually materializes. It's very hard to predict you know, which of his policies are going to actually come to fruition. He's not a dictator. He is the president. He is one branch of government. And what he discussed during the, the, uh, the election process may be, or some of his ideas may not be able to come to fruition. He may not convince the Republican Congress to um, follow his lead. And so many things can happen. So the best way that we think to think about uh, a new presidency is really to think about the range of outcomes and to plan so that no matter what happens, you can thrive even in very negative, uh, you know, negative and, and bad conditions. Um, of course, that's just in the U.S. There are a lot of uncertainties also elsewhere in the world. You know, his, his election really is a manifestation of the same kind of voter sentiment that caused the, uh, the recent failure of the Italian uh, constitutional referendum a couple of weeks ago, beginning of uh, December. All of these things emanate from a, a deep voter frustration and so I think it's probably safe to say that the level of uncertainty that we are facing um, in, in a geopolitical fashion, which will have an effect on the e economics around the world, uh, is significant. And so we study them, we think about them, and we need to prepare for any uh, potential outcome. Okay, great, great answer. Based on history, how do markets generally perform after a presidential election? <laughs> That's the uh, $25,000 question, uh -huh. and okay. in many cases, uh, you know, many million-dollar questions. Um, you know, markets are th – there are no patterns that we've been able to identify in terms of how markets, how markets behave. But here, th th let me tell you what we did study. We did study the correlation between how markets behave and the popularity of the elected officials. So we know that we just had a very bad, uh, you know, a very unpopular Congress, divided Congress, um, a, a generally for most of his, uh, for most of his uh, tenure, an unpopular president. Uh, and what we see and what we've studied is that there's actually very little correlation even between the popularity of, of government and, uh, and the markets. I think you know, the Super Bowl results may have a better, have <laughs> okay. a better you know, okay. historical uh, correlation between, you know, the elections and markets. But in terms of elected officials and presidential uh, elections, uh, there it's very unclear. I can, I can easily paint to you and your listeners 
a situation where we have very strong markets this this uh, this year. You know, we, we Trump is perceived to be very pro business. If he actually does away with regulations, lowers corporate tax rates, lowers income tax rates, all those things can be very stimulative to the economy. But we also don't know whether the EU is going to stay intact after you know three more major elections that are coming up. So there there are again a lot of uncertainties. Correct. And I think that the way to to sort of look at that is to again think about uh, the range. You know, I, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, Phil, you know that I'm a political. Uh, uh, guy here, and and uh, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning, and I sat on my couch for six hours watching each result come in, and I watched the Dow Jones Industrial Average futures drop 850 points, which you know obviously was a panic. But by the time the market opened, and it certainly ended that day, the market was up, and the market has had actually one of the strongest rebounds, uh, post-election rebounds that we've ever seen. And so you have to prepare for that 850-point loss and the multi-thousand-point gain that we've experienced and the range of potential outcomes in between. That could actually be solved for, for smart investors by doing planning, by preparing a, a, a really an investment plan which says, you know what, here are my goals. How do I get there in a way which is with as least amount of risk as possible? And how do I get there even if we have bad markets, even if our biggest nightmares come true and bad things happen over the course of the next year or four years. I need to be able to achieve my goals even in those conditions. And that's sort of how we approach managing money, which is, look, you can have great years, you can have bad years, but what we care about is the bad years. What happens if we have a a consistent, elongated period of time when markets do poorly? Will you be able to achieve your goals? And there are ways to prepare a plan and to design a plan in order to enable uh, you know, investors to do that. And we would highly recommend that at the very least, because of the uncertainties in the market, that you do focus on fundamental planning within your portfolios and with your assets. And I think that's probably the best way you know, about how to, how to sort of approach this. So one tip for the next presidential election, if you had been with me in China, you you could have started watching TV at nine nine a.m. instead of three a.m. because uh, we were we were six hours ahead of you. So that was actually uh, very nice. Yeah, my over the course of the night, I went I you know went from you know l'chaims to uh, morning and you know watching CNN on you know them sitting shiva on CNN and them celebrating on Fox. So I, I we had a good time. Uh-huh. It was fun. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. In my mind, three major events stick out for 216. Trump's election, of course, which we've been talking about. Brexit, which you actually mentioned a few moments ago. And I, I threw in a third, the, the movement of, of refugees to Europe, particularly from, from Syria. Um, how, how have the markets digested these developments? Well, <clears throat> strangely, the markets have been up very, very strongly, generally speaking. This has been, you know, again, focusing, we'll focus on each one of those three things individually, but Trump, the market perceives as being pro-business, and so we could see increased economic growth um, in the next, uh, you know, four years uh, if he can actually implement what he said he was going to try to do. And that, uh, that, you know, investors believe uh, could be very good. And another reason why the markets have done very well is that we're actually seeing a rotation in the market. You know, we've been saying as a firm for some time that investors have been crowding safe assets. We've been on a 30-year bond, you know, bull market, 
right? Bonds have, you know, returned excellent returns over the last quite some time. And rates are as low or have had been as low as you could possibly have them, you know, zero virtually uh, for, for a significant period of time. And so as rates begin to rise, what we said um, was that investors are going to shift their money from these safe assets of bonds and also high dividend yielding stocks and, and also, um, you know, uh, defensive stocks like utilities that are the most boring stocks in the face of the earth because they pay a big dividend. They don't really grow much. And they're going to shift that money to what we call, you know, risk assets, other stocks that are cheaper, where you could buy growth uh, for a lot cheaper than, you know, the, the previous drivers of, of the excellent markets. And so in the U.S., what we're seeing since the election, not only are the markets up in an absolute sense, uh, numbers are you know, up, I, I saw 5.3%, whatever the numbers actually are as of, as of the close yesterday, but they're actually shifting the money within the markets and investors are buying opportunities that are likely to thrive in a rising interest rate environment. And we actually, interest rates from the election – uh, through now have risen, if you look at the, the Treasury, have risen at a rate uh, and a speed that no one anticipated and, quite frankly, is, is uh, almost unprecedented. And so what we're noticing is that investors are shifting their assets, and we think that this is only the very beginning. We think there's a lot of opportunity to shift assets from the more expensive growth stocks uh, to cheaper stocks and also to things like small and mid-cap companies in the U.S. that are uh, that generally tend to do better in a rising rate environment. Now, when you get beyond the U.S., it's a lot more tricky because when you get to like the developed countries in Europe and in uh, and the emerging markets, what we're seeing is you know very attractive valuations, stocks that are trading at you know relatively cheaply. But there's also that's coupled with a significant amount of uncertainty. You know, we have. German elections. We have French elections. We just had a big Italian referendum uh, on their constitution and likely another Italian general election if, if this uh, government fails. And when we begin to see the trends that have occurred because of Brexit, because of Trump, where people are becoming more nationalist, where people are very angry at the, the, uh, the elected officials, that could easily uh, potentially trigger a crisis again within the European Union. You know, Brexit unto itself, we don't think necessarily has a significant impact um, on, on the European economy. And quite frankly, it's had almost, you know, so far, relatively little impact on the British economy. However, if other countries see that, wow, they were able to exit and they went relatively unscathed, it might trigger other countries to try to exit. And that could unravel the European Union, and that could be a real crisis. And so there's a lot of uncertainty there, and that's probably uh, the reason why there's a lot of very interesting, cheap buying opportunities uh, in Europe. Wow. The emerging markets, as a, as a sector, also is, uh, is very attractive. It's had a very strong year. It was up 18% before, before the election, and since the election, and the fears of a potential trade war with China uh, surfaced after the uh, Trump election, uh, they also continue to look very attractive, and we think that there are continued legs and continue, you know, uh, you know what we call the re-emerging markets, because they, 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 we think that they could continue to do well. 
But again, because of all these uncertainties, right, your emerging markets could do poorly if there is a trade war with China, because a lot of these emerging markets rely on China. And what happens if, you know, if there's a trade war and, and what happens if, if there is an unraveling of the European Union? The solution for investors is not to try to predict the immediate future. That is a mistake. What I always tell people, you know, if you try to predict what's going to happen in one year, it's throwing dice. It's real gambling. The way to overcome and endure what may uh, happen is to have a, what we discussed before, which is a very smart plan, an investment plan, which can endure even in bad markets, even if things happen that we can't anticipate. We try to give our clients, as, a, as an example, a 90% uh, likelihood that they will be able to accomplish their goals, um, you know, which normally means you know, sustaining themselves for the rest of their lives, even in bad markets, even in bad markets. And so uh, planning becomes very, very, very uh, critical. And in addition to planning, it's, it's diversification becomes critical. You don't want to be in any one place because in any one of those major geographic regions, the U.S. developed non-U.S. and emerging markets could, could have a crisis and, and cause uh, you know, poor outcomes for investors. And so having a smart plan is the way to uh, ensure, to the best of our ability, you know, there's no guarantee, the past performance is no guarantee of future results, but it is the best way to plan for that which is unexpected. And that's sort of, again, how we approach trying to solve these problems and challenges and uncertainties uh, for our clients. Right, so that's a good lead-in for my next question. As, as a wise man once said to me, no, no one can predict the future, but, but there are trends, and you can sort of see how things are moving, and one might anticipate that things will move in a certain direction. It does seem that interest rates seem to finally be moving up. Uh, what is your look for with interest rates in general and how they'll affect the, the investment choices for 217 and beyond? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and really, rising interest rates is what has triggered this rotation in the, in the stock markets um, from, from the you know, high-flying you know, uh, Amazon, Netflix stocks to cheaper um, but healthy growth stocks. But the reality is, is that, yes, interest rates are rising. Uh, they almost had to rise. And should the, the U.S. market continue to improve, we think that they will continue to, to rise uh, during 2017 and beyond. We think that the rise will be uh, slow and steady. So, you know, two to three uh, interest rate rises uh, this, this year, probably of a quarter point each and, and beyond. It all depends on, again, the uncertainties you mentioned before. So, so rates will continue to rise if the U.S. economy continues to grow. But let's say there is a geopolitical event that Trump has to deal with that's significant. God forbid another attack or some other kind of crisis. That could you know, dampen the U.S. economy. What happens if the dollar becomes too strong that it begins to crimp uh, exports for U.S. corporations? Well, that, that may be another reason why we slow down uh, rising interest rates, because rising interest rates generally do make the dollar stronger. So, you know, the answer really is that, yes, rates are going to rise, and again, slow and steady, but it doesn't mean that, uh, that they will necessarily rise in a straight path. Uh, there could be periods of softness in the market, or the market on the other side of it could accelerate at a faster pace. We do think 
that they'll be stronger. And we, this year, actually, we, we called it pretty well in terms of uh, the, the growth rate of, of the U.S. economy. And they just came out with numbers for the third quarter, which were, were, were excellent, 3.5%, uh, uh, which is higher than the market had anticipated, although I must to give us a little bit of credit, we, we, we did predict it. Um, but the reality is that you know, we, we, we think that uh, rising interest rates are here to stay, and there's a long way up. Now, the question that that sort of triggers for, for investors who are diversified and do own bonds is, you know, if rates are going to rise, then the value of my bonds can go down. So why the heck would I want to own something like bonds? Or quite frankly, why would I own other assets that are correlated to rising interest rates, uh, you know, while this happens? And that's a great question. And the answer really is that bonds, that yes, you're right, bonds could lose uh, lose their, their their value, at least in the short and short and medium term, but they are very necessary for portfolios because they act as risk mitigators. They act as ballast to the portfolio. That when the U.S. markets or global markets do poorly because of some unforeseen event or even for a foreseen event, bonds tend to do better in those kinds of environments. If you look at this year, this year bonds have been doing great. The first uh, you know, almost uh, through the, the election. They were having a banner year. Nobody expected bonds to be up 5 6 7%. Um, you know, so bonds, obviously, a little bit less than that. Um, nobody expected it. Once the interest rates started rising, they had a sharp sell-off. And, uh, and the nice thing about bonds is that, you know, as rates rise, bonds, new issue bonds, tend to pay more interest. And so... That's another reason why you want to stick with bonds, because bonds really time, time cures the, the, uh, the underlying problem usually, because portfolios add higher yielding bonds. And so, yes, there could be short-term gyrations because of rising interest rates in your bond portfolios, but they are very necessary. And that, again, comes back. To, I'm sorry for overemphasizing this, but, no, no, but investors, it, it, investors get very caught up by, you know, what should I put my money in right now? And, and the answer is that that you've got to have a plan. You have to know, it's like building a building, right? You have to have a blueprint, you know, when you, when you build a building. And when you invest, you have, a, you have to have a blueprint also. And the blueprint needs to be able to, to withstand these days, you know, earthquakes. Right, well, correct. a good investment plan has to withstand bad markets as well. And so interest rates are rising. Keep your bonds, um, you know, depending on your allocation, you know, depending on your particular situation, which I don't know about. But don't be... Don't shun safe assets, um, even in these kinds of environments, because they are necessary to help reduce risk in portfolios. All right, so let, let me move from the macro, which I feel we've been talking about macro issues, what I'll call the micro, which is about your, your activities. What, what, what is Bernstein doing in Israel? Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, so, um, so Bernstein is, you know, we discussed Bernstein before, but uh, we opened the office uh, in, uh, in January of, of this year, 2016, officially, uh, we provide um, private wealth management services to dual citizens uh, and to Israelis and non-U.S. citizens. We have a global non-U.S. platform and we have a, a regular uh, U.S. platform. And we have expertise, you know, a, a series of professionals that work for our firm, including some Israelis, who uh, focus on the complexities of you know, dual citizens with multiple 
tax jurisdictions, as as Phil, you as you know, it's it's it is uh, complicated. And doing things like managing for taxes in your portfolio, every single time that you execute a trade or buy a product or sell a product, thinking about the tax implications in Israel for dual citizens living here or for Israelis living here is very important. And managing risk as well is, is a very important part of, of what we do. But we provide all the services that we provide in the U.S. with a local touch, right? We're here on the ground. It's the U.S. platform that we I put our, our clients on. We provide all the planning services, all the portfolio management um, for people living here with a, a relationship manager who really is down the road. You know, I'm, I, I find I spend a lot of time both in Tel Aviv and Yerushalayim and Haifa and Herzliya. I'm really everywhere. Um, and I have a staff both here and in, uh, in the U.S. who support us. And, you know, we have events regularly. Um, we had an event in July that, that, uh, that Phil, you and, and, and Fred had, had uh, presented in, which was, which was outstanding. And so we are providing uh, these services for, for our clients and uh, for obviously qualified clients. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, even before I officially started uh, opening the office, we had been managing um, about $2 billion worth of assets uh, in Israel. But it done remotely um, from our advisors all over the world, and now we have the local person, me, um, who's here. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, moved here with my family in order to be able to provide the personal service and global resources to each and every one of our clients who are living here. So now, having been here almost approximately a year and a half, uh, what what have you learned about the Israeli investing scene uh, since you moved here and set up your office? Well, it's a great question. Um, I must say that that Israel has a great high tech, you know, uh, economy, you know, uh, industry. It does great in healthcare and biotech and lots of other things. I would say that the financial services that are provided in Israel, the derech klal, not you know, there, there there are good players out there for sure, but the derech klal is less mature than it is uh, in 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 the U.S. Uh, I'll give you a couple of a couple of uh, big sort of things that I've noticed. Um, Israelis are very uh, conservative investors in general, uh, not dual citizens because they've been trained, you know, to think right. holistically about the markets. But Israelis actually are very conservative investors, and they don't invest time into planning, or they hadn't. Part of it is that the fact they really haven't been very good on planning, um, you know, options here um, to provide that, those planning services. But part of it is that they are just generally conservative and like to keep things close to their chest. Um, so that's, that's, you know, that's one thing, that their planning capabilities and, 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 and them investing in that planning process, which, by the way, we don't charge for. Uh, you know, for them, they, they don't really do it. Uh, they, they uh, believe it or not, you know, talking about thinking about asset classes, you know, just to put what I first said in, in, in perspective, you know, a 30% stock, 70% bond portfolio is considered aggressive here. And if you look at the numbers and the projections that not just us, but, you know, managers around the world have put forward for, for the markets, it's, uh, you know, it's a very conservative allocation. And so I think that there's a, there's a job that we have to do to help we educate people uh, objectively about the different asset classes. And again, you know, the fears that investors have here can be solved or addressed um, by, by good planning. Um, 
Israelis like to chase performance. What's hot today? Mm-hmm. What's been hot the last, the last six months or the last year? Uh, chasing performance, and it's not just our research, but it's research done by you know, a great company called Dalbar. It's a research company out of Boston. Chasing performance, trying to see what's hot now and getting into it now is a recipe for disappointing outcomes. You know, people always ask me, what, what, you know, what should I do today? What should I, well, what's, what's hot today? I call it here, and I've seen it. I've lived here many years. It's a herd mentality. It's, That's uh, exactly right. You know, when, yeah. when, when everyone's buying uh, real estate in Las Vegas... Everyone, you know, that, that's uh, exactly right. That's, and, and by the way, and, real estate is something that all Israelis seem to be, you know, want to get into, and it's all Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, it's one market. <laughs> so I tell people, right. you know, you should probably at least think about, you know, if everybody's trying to get into Brooklyn and you can't buy, you can't even find good opportunities there, maybe you should consider investing your assets differently because exactly, exactly as you said, do you want to follow the herd? Or do you want to figure out where the herd is going to go next? And so at the very heart of what we do is to try to outthink the market. You know, coming up with this perspective of this shift in, in this rotation of assets with rising interest rates, we've been saying that um, this year, and it hadn't happened until the election. Since the election, you know, uh, our portfolios, which have, which have been positioned for this, have done you know, very, very well relative to the market. Um, you know, outthinking the market, trying to figure out you know, where, where are they going to go next? Not where they are today, but where are the opportunities that, we're gonna, that are going to do very well in the next you know, couple of years as investors come to their senses? Uh, that's a trick to making a lot of money and to being very, dis- to be, to being very disciplined. You want to you know, be very uh, disciplined when having an asset allocation, when having a plan, rebalancing Again, thinking about risk, thinking about taxes, all in one portfolio. The more you invest in those kinds of things, the better the outcomes are going to be. And finally, one last thing, Israelis are attracted to ETFs, you know, to passive investing, right? If I can just buy the S&P 500, it's very cheap, you know, why not? ETFs they are, are, very, are very popular here. And the performance of ETFs, you know, the reason why investors like getting into ETFs and passive investing is because people say, ah, oh, it can't possibly beat the market. Active investing cannot beat the market anymore. Uh-huh. It's very, very easy to say that. But the reality is that if you look at the history of passive versus active, active investing, that too is cyclical. There are periods of time where active outperforms. There are periods of time when passive outperforms. Our, our history, our audited 50, almost 50-year history, is one which reflects that our active investing does generally outperform the market um, over you know market cycles, and we've got that you know that 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 you know audited performance. But the reality is that there are times when they're 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 in vogue and not in vogue. Today, with rising interest rates, you could very easily see, and we very strongly believe that this is going to be an ideal time for active investing. And by the way, we offer mm-hmm. both. We offer both passive and active. So, you know, it's not like uh, we can't offer passive. We do. But right now, think about it. There are companies that are going to thrive because of rising interest rates, because of the, uh, because of the pro- deregulation and, and, and the other uh, potential pro-business Trump policies. And there are companies that are going to suffer. You know, if you're a utility company, the reason why people have been buying your stock is because you pay a big dividend. But when rates rise in bonds and, and interest rates rise, and suddenly a safe, a fully safe bond is more competitive with a utility dividend, 
people are going to say, forget the utility. I'm going to go to the safe bond. Why should I, why should I bother? That's happening already. We think it's going to continue to happen. And that's why it's important to pick and choose and to really pick the right stocks to be in right now. And that's why we think active investing can do very well in this kind of environment. It's not popular to say, and goodness knows, Vanguard loves to publish, you know, lots of material about, about uh, you know, how you've got to go passive and there's no reason to, to go active. But if you look at the numbers, if you look at the research, you'll realize that, like everything else, it's a cycle. Yes, we think active is going to come back. Yes, passive has been very popular, but it doesn't mean that now is the right time to be there. Gotcha. We've talked macro. Now I asked this uh, some micro about your activities in Israel. Now I like to end with with, with a fun question, and uh, I've given you no pre- preparation for this, but I, I know in in your work you do you do have to fly from time to time back to the states. I do. If you were getting off the plane in Ben Gurion Airport, you tourists, returning Israelis, and they could put up a big sign to say something, what would you want that sign to say if you could? You know, greeting people getting off the plane in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Welcome home. It's about time. That's good. Okay. I'm, I'm a firm believer. You know, I posted a blog. This is not Bernstein right. related, but with this recent UNSC vote last week, I posted a, a blog that I wrote that basically said, look, we are a nation that is meant to live alone. It's, it's time immemorial that, that we are we are just not, you know, we, we were alone in that room last Friday when, when the Security Council voted, and we are meant to be alone. But now is the time, and I'm sorry if this wasn't no, like no, a funny no, answer. No, 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 it's but, a fun, I um, said it's a fun I, question, but you can go with it where you want. I, I deeply believe this is the time for our people to come back home, to build this country to the superpower that it's meant to be, the economic, spiritual superpower that it's meant to be, and I, and I deeply believe that if we, you know, if we break away from the Jacob mentality. You know, Jacob means heel, right? right? But Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Why? Because, right, that we struggled with man and with God and we overcame. And so we've got to get out of our head the fact that we're the heel of the world and we have to rise to become the Israel that we are meant to be. And the nation of Israel is one that's unafraid, that can add more to the world uh, on a level that the world's never seen, we have the potential here to do great, 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 great things and to be the moral compass that the world so desperately needs. And so welcome home. It's about time. Um, that's, that's a sign that okay. I would, that I, I would definitely I like put that. Up. All right. That's that's great Thank answer you. and a great, po- great <laughs> podcast. If people want to learn more about Bernstein or reach out to you, how, how can they find out and get in touch with you? Uh, certainly, if you go to our, our website, Bernstein.com, and you look at our offices, the, the, the number for our, for our office is there, but I'll, I'll make it even, even easier uh, for that. Email me, yigal, Y-I-G-A-L, dot Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at Bernstein.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, and, and I deeply thank you for giving me this opportunity. And again, if there's any, anything that, that you or your, your listeners need, more information about the markets or perspectives, you know, we'd love to help you in any way that we can. And Chanukah uh, Sameach, and a very happy, uh, happy, wonderful Chag. Chanukah Sameach, and looking forward to, to see how 217 plays out. And, and thanks for the time today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. 
feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 